In this episode, we share our insights on what was working and what needed improvement from our emergency remote teaching time uh, before summer. And uh, in this episode, we provide suggestions on how you can start this coming school year off on the right foot. Yes, that's right, Math Moment Makers. Stick around and you'll hear how to set the stage to inspire curiosity throughout the school year, how to build trust with your students so you can create an inclusive classroom culture online, and activities that are essential for the first day of class, regardless of whether you're back face-to-face, whether you're in a blended model coming up, or if you are unfortunately in a fully online system. All right, let's hit it. Welcome to the Making Math Moments That Matter podcast. I'm Kyle Pierce from TapIntoTeenMinds.com. And I'm John Orr from MrOr-IsAGeek.com. We are two math teachers who together... With you, the community of math moment makers worldwide who want to build and deliver math lessons that spark curiosity, fuel sense-making, and ignite your teacher moves. All right, all right. Let's get ready for this super packed, resource-rich episode. Uh, But before we do that, we want to say thank you to all of you Math Moment Makers from around the globe who have taken the time to share feedback and leaving us reviews on your podcast platforms and especially Apple Podcasts. Yes, that's right, John. We are thrilled with each and every rating and review received. It really does fill our heart. This week, we are saying a special thanks to Reggie2017, who gave us a five-star rating and review that said, I just needed to hear it. I have always felt this approach to teaching math would reach more kids, but then I would hit the pitfalls and give up. I won't give up this time. Yes, I love it. I love it. So well said. It's like being able to crystallize or actually put into action what you're thinking. And hopefully, and it sounds like for Reggie, it's working out to help by listening to all the great guests on the podcast and all of the Math Mentoring Moment episodes. So thank you, Reggie2017, for taking time out of your day to just pause. Like right now, just hit that pause button, scroll down, hit that rating and review area. And right now we are at over 250 from around the globe and over 100 reviews. If you haven't taken a moment to give us that honest rating and review, we would certainly appreciate it. It definitely helps other educators find the show and therefore you are helping other educators and therefore students. Yes, that's absolutely right, John. And before we get going, we want to take a moment to help you with your vertical non-permanent surfaces classroom. So if you've been listening to the podcast for some time now, I bet that you've heard us raving about the vertical non-permanent surfaces that we use in our classrooms. I'm sure you've heard the Peter Lildehall episode, who is sort of the king of the vertical non-permanent surfaces, because we want to get kids up and actively fueling sense-making. So while regular old chalk or whiteboards definitely do the trick, don't go ditching those. Oftentimes, though, there just isn't enough around the classroom. And that, unfortunately, makes it difficult when we're trying to accommodate all of our learners. Well, that's uh, where our good friends, Toby and Frank from Whitebook, come in and... They have developed a super cool and very portable flip chart pack, uh, great for filling the vertical non-permanent surface void in your classroom or wherever you're facilitating. They've actually improved the product. They've got two nice products right now as the original flip chart pack, but they've got a super duper durable one that's going to last for a very long time. So uh, check that out. Yes, absolutely. And uh, one of the coolest parts is that the gentlemen from White Book are actually from Ottawa, Ontario. So that always fills our heart when we can help support another Canadian crew of awesome educators. So we're even using these at conferences and workshops. So if you've been a part of anything live with us, you would notice them scattered around the room. Uh, We post them up on any flat surface to get our teacher participants up and actively fueling their senses 
making. And now you can too. Whitebook is an official Make Math Moments partner, which means you can grab a flip chart pack for 30% off by visiting whitebook.com forward slash moments. That's whitebook.com forward slash moments. And if you are an administrator or looking for your district to grab a whole bunch of flip chart packs uh, and looking for some bulk pricing, you can head over to whitebook.com forward slash moments bulk for up to 40% off as well. Awesome stuff, John. So definitely check that out. And thanks again to our friends from Whitebook. Now, let's dive into this mega-packed episode on starting the school year off right from a distance. Hey, John, how's it going? It is uh, that time Mm -hmm. of the year where we're actually off right now as we're recording this. How are you doing right now on your summer vacation? Oh, summer is just always fantastic. Summer in Ontario is camping, it's beaches, it's water, it's doing all those things that we love and we're still doing them even though we're social distancing right now, but summer is awesome and we're getting ready. The time you're listening to this is in August and it's that teacher's time where it's like, I read this last year, uh, Kyle, uh, that uh, August is like the longest Sunday night ever. You know, like, <laughs> it's like you're just thinking about the new school year. And some of you are actually getting ready to teach in August, whereas we're not uh, yeah, going to be teaching I was say that's September. like July for some people, yeah. right? July is the longest Sunday like, ever, depending on, your on where brain. you are. Yeah, it's on your brain. Like, what am I going to do the first week? Or what's the next class going to look like? You're just thinking about it. And it's sometimes hard to enjoy that August or that last little bit of summer. So this episode, we actually want to run another How to Start the School Year off episode. We had an episode back in episode 36, which is actually, Kyle, our most listened to episode, our most downloaded episode of all time, of all of our 88 episodes. Uh, We want to run another one on how to start the school year off right, but we know that it's uh, going to look very different for all of us and actually very different for many of us in different ways. So we want to take this episode to kind of talk about how to start the school year off right, but how can we adjust that and, and do this remotely? Yeah, absolutely. And we also want to make sure that folks who are listening, we do have people from who would have thought all over the world listening. So we do have some friends that are actually smack dab in the middle of their school year, but I'm hoping that they're going to be able to pull some learning out of this because in different parts of the world, people are in different phases of this COVID emergency that we've been dealing with over these past handful of months now. What would it be? Four months now. So some people are back fully face-to-face. Some people are in different scenarios. Like here in Ontario, if we're talking about our scenario, our Minister of Education, as we're recording this, has basically said it's going to be one of three general scenarios, although school districts are going to have the full authority, I suppose, or the full autonomy to be able to choose what's best in their context, in their communities. So we've got the possibility of a fully online model. Now more and more in Ontario, as the curve has sort of flattened or at least stayed consistent, and we're not receiving a huge number of increases in cases, the fully online model seems less likely. And to us, it sort of seems like it's probably going to be either one of these other two possibilities, one being a blended model, the one that sort of pops into most people's minds here is this idea of maybe doing like, half your students on one day face-to-face and then the other half are engaging in some sort of online learning and the other half attending the next day, of Mm -hmm. course. Flip-flopping. Yeah, that's going to be a crazy scenario if that were to happen, but it is definitely a possibility. And then I guess the third and maybe the most coveted of the three would be sort of going back to a place of this face-to-face, something that we're more familiar with, like a normal scenario in our mind, I'm sure with social distancing rules and effect and maybe masks and things along those lines. So we've got these three scenarios here. And today, I think we're going to kind of hone in probably somewhere in the middle, like talking 
a lot about blended and what it might look like even for those areas where maybe a fully online scenario is taking place. And we're hoping that even long after this is gone and behind us, that maybe some of the things we're talking about might be helpful as some teachers actually teach fully online. Like we have some fully online schools and we have some educators who do reach out to us about how they can teach most effectively in that environment. So hopefully that will help them as well with this episode. So we're pretty excited to get into it, talk about some of the ways that we might be able to support our students in this uncertain time that we're in right now, and really try to overcome some of the hurdles. Now, we're not going to completely remove them. These hurdles are here and they are firmly in place. Large And they're large. And they are large. But we are hoping that we can at least do our best given the circumstances. So that's kind of one of the big key takeaways we're hoping for, John. So why don't you kind of summarize what we've just said there for our intentionality, what we hope people will take away here. Mm -hmm. Lots of big challenges coming our way for sure. But in this particular episode, we're looking to address a couple things. And if you've joined us for any of our live webinars in the past too, we always like to kind of start those with like, here's what we should tackle in this time to keep us honest. So by the end, we should get into these things this episode. So what we want to do is to help you get your thinking about what the beginning of the school year is going to look like for you and your students. So important, like we said just a few moments ago, that we've got the longest Sunday night ahead of us while we think about that. So that's one thing is how is it going to look for us? How are we going to get students engaged right out of the gate so they stick around? I know that many of you, like me, had a lot of drop-off in engagement as those four months of the last part of the school year kind of went on. Students started to, in my high school classes, drop off. And how can we keep them sticking around? That's what we want to help you with here today. And also, how can we still spark curiosity and fuel sense making despite these hurdles that we're going to address that we do have coming up with our children in education? So we want to make sure that we're still doing these great lessons that we have been used to doing? How can we get their curiosity? How can we just stop avoiding going back to just a show and tell or I do, you do, we do kind of model of lessons the way I was taught in my high school career? So so uh, we want to help you with those three big things. Plus, you're going to get some activities uh, and suggestions along the way. Yeah, you're absolutely right there, John. And something too, for people who are listening, we're going to be talking about this obviously through a podcast. This is really to serve as something for you to think on, to reflect on, and keeping in mind that we are going to be doing a webinar, a live webinar in the coming weeks. So definitely check out makemathmoments.com forward slash webinar. Again, makemathmoments.com forward slash webinar to check out the dates and to get yourself signed up. And once you're signed up there as well, something to keep in mind is that if you can't attend the live webinar, although attending live like synchronously, just like with our students, is always the best opportunity, but we will be providing it as a replay afterwards. So definitely check that out. And we're really going to kind of be piggybacking off of that episode, like John said at the beginning of this episode. He said, episode 36 how to start the school year off right. And we're really going to be looking to try to build on that. So if you haven't listened, definitely head back there to episode 36. And also make sure you get your hands on that downloadable guide that's there. And in that episode, you'll note that we sort of had like three big ideas on how we can do this. The three big ideas were this idea of building community and trust and support with our students. Like that was one of the big pieces and something that, let's be honest, this is going to be the most difficult to build as we try to start off a new school year without necessarily being able to be face-to-face with students every single day. So again, if you're lucky enough where you are face-to-face and hopefully in your community, it's the right choice. Like it's a healthy and safe choice to be face-to-face because of course health comes first here. But if that's the case, then awesome. It's so great that you get to build that trust in that community. But if you're in a blended or what I call blended or worse model, meaning you'd have less face-to-face or maybe no face-to-face time, that could be a challenge. And the other thing we're hoping that we can do, and this is no matter what, whether you're online or not, we want to inspire curiosity. Like, how are we going to get kids leaning in? And Obviously, listening to the podcast, this being episode 88, we've had 
over a year of podcast episodes come out. If you've been listening with us, you know John and I are all about inspiring curiosity. And that was back when we were face-to-face. We want kids leaning in. That job gets increasingly more difficult as we have less and less face-to-face time with our students. And then we're going to be talking and diving into this idea of painting a picture with our students. And again, going to be extremely important as we enter into this new school year where it may not look like it did one year ago before the whole COVID thing. So we're really excited to kind of start unpacking this, talking about these challenges, and we're not going to sugarcoat it. Like we're not going to say, you know, everything's going to be great because I really don't think we want to set ourselves up with that expectation. We want to do the best with what we have. And that's what we're going to try to help support you do as we try to engage in those same moves as we go along. Hey, Math Moment Makers, Kyle here, and I've got just a quick message specifically for our district-level mathematics decision-makers out there. Do you feel like you're spinning your wheels when making district-level goals for mathematics programming from kindergarten through grade 12, setting new goals each year only to find little to no real shift in pedagogical practice or educator content knowledge across the district as a whole? Take a moment to book a short call with our team so we can learn more about your specific district and educator learning needs in mathematics so we can assist you in taking the first step of many in the right direction. Visit makemathmoments.com forward slash district to book a web call with our team today. We have a limited number of spots for districts just like yours, so don't wait head to makemathmoments.com forward slash district and grab a spot in our calendar now. Yeah. And so Kyle, why we are bringing this up, these three big ideas like building community, inspiring curiosity, and painting a picture are the three things that we always think about when we start our school years off. Because when I was in school and I taught this way, listeners of this podcast know that I taught a very standard traditional way of me being in front of the class doing all the talking for a many number of years. And the way I used to start my classes, and if you list back to episode 36, you're going to get the hang of this, of what I used to do is, I think a lot of us did and still do, is that we just go through the rules uh, on day one. And we just go through what the syllabus is going to look like. Here's the topics. Here's how you're going to get assessed and marked. And here's what you can expect on a weekly basis. And, and it's like a lot of upfront knowledge. And if you think about math lessons... That's like the same as like preloading all the content and the skills of like, here's what you're going to do. And then you're like, oh, then we have to apply it. Whereas as what we want to do now is it's so important to start the school year off, right? Because when we start with rules and procedures and the syllabus, you're not kind of like welcoming your students in. You're not showing them what you want to value. I guess if that's what you want to value in math class, you're probably not listening to this podcast. If you're listening to this podcast, it's because you want to value voice. You want to inspire curiosity. You want to build on the beauty of mathematics. You want sense making in your students and you're looking to do that. And so we're saying skip the rules. We're saying skip the syllabus. That stuff is going to be embedded as you do stuff anyway. So these three big things are all about changing the way you would do the first week or even maybe the first two weeks, definitely on the first day. So if we jump in here, Kyle, to building a community and trust and support, which is about changing beliefs about math, like what can we do here right out of the gate? And keeping in mind that we're going to build on, because we did talk about this in episode 36 with some activities right out of the gate on what you can be doing to build this. But how can we do this also remotely, Kyle? I think, John, you highlighted so many important points and a word that pops in my mind as you were speaking, saying like, we're not going to just give students all these rules and these procedures. Just like in math class, we say avoid the rush to the algorithm, avoid the rush to the procedure. Now, that doesn't mean we don't want you walking away thinking like, oh, wow, if I go into John or Kyle's classroom, there's going to be no rules. There's going to be chaos because that's not what we're saying at all. But we want it to emerge just like we want strategies and models and eventually 
student-generated algorithms and procedures to emerge in our classroom. And what better way to do that than starting out right out of the gate to build in what it's going to be like in our classroom and essentially to emerge some of those rules and procedures. So coming in with a huge list of things might be difficult, but something we could even do right away is having a synchronous lesson together. And this is going to be something we're going to dive into a little bit more as well. But we're going to really encourage you to try to do as much if you are in an online environment to do as much synchronously as you can right out of the gate so that students feel and they see what's emerging about our classes, that our class is going to be about community despite how far apart we are. Like, Think of how important that is for students right now to feel a sense of community, to build that trust, to build support from their peers and their teacher. That's going to be really, really important. So we want to build that routine so that they can see, okay, this is how it's going to be. Now, John, you and I have talked about this a million times. Like, number one challenge is going to be like, what about access and equity? So, like, John, what are your thoughts on this? Because I know, like, you and I were thinking about those kids in our class. And for some of you, it's like a large group of kids in your class where it's like, I know this is going to be a hard thing for them. Or maybe you're in a different context where you're saying, well, actually, there's only a couple students that have this issue of either accessing technology or maybe just not having the support at home in order to engage online. Like, what are your thoughts on that? And how do we handle this? Because I think it puts us as educators in a really tough spot because we want all of our students to be successful. There's definitely a lot of challenges here when we're working either remotely or this is a blended model. And so, like, if we think about those challenges that we're going to experience when students have access to technology or not. Like, first of all, if we're in a blended model, you're going to see those students on some sort of schedule. Like, this is the hard part of recording this in August when we don't even know what our structure is going to look like, Kyle, but everywhere is going to be different. That's the thing that we do want to point out here is that what we talk about and suggestions we give could look totally different for you. But if we're in a some sort of blended model, which is what we're predicting here in Ontario, because our minister has said that they don't want class sizes of bigger than 15. Our class sizes are bigger than 15. So what does that look like? And what can we do in this blended model? As, as I guess was, again, what I said is what we're predicting is when you're seeing your kids face to face, you can do those same activities that we referenced in episode 36, which we're going to bring up again here. You can bring in the math is like to, to kind of open up the gates to get kids to voice and value their voice. You can play the game of NIM, which is what I've done on the last first few days, which gets kids interacting at their whiteboards and sharing strategies of where this kind of mystery strategy is going to come from in the game. If you're not sure about that game, Google it or check out episode 36 is where we talk about it. But there's also big challenges here, Kyle, especially if we're going to then move to the remote system. It was what we were all experiencing at the end of the year about who has access to a computer, who doesn't. Like, obviously, if you do not have access, your students do not have access to a device, then the online activities on your off days are going to be a challenge. We can't really help that part of your dynamic. But if they are, we've got to be very conscious about who can do the activities and who's not going to be able to do the activities. I constantly think about my students. The drop-off happens so much because now all of a sudden my middle school and high school students are babysitters or childcare providers, or they're working for their families, and they're just spending time like me. I'm working all day, and so are they. And we're asking them to like, hey, why can't you join me for a synchronous lesson, right? Like we want this synchronous lesson to happen because it's we know it's going to help build that community that we want so that our kids can feel like that class is a place that they can come to, just like when we do this live. But we have to accept the reality that some of those kids aren't going to be able to meet that time. And that's a huge issue. And, and it's because like we want society to go back to work. But we also need people who have younger kids also need to provide some sort of care, whether they're in school half day or every other day, those other days, they're going to have to have daycare somewhere. And in our middle school and high school students are going to be those 
first kind of crack at their siblings. They're like, well, I don't need to pay for daycare if my 14-year-old daughter can or son can stay home and watch my younger kids. So we definitely have to consider that those concerns, they're in our sphere of concern, but they're not our sphere of influence. We can't like change that part. We don't want to punish those kids for not coming live, Uh, but we do want to promote the live component or the video component of that second day is so important. And I think we've got some suggestions on how we can do that, but making sure that they don't feel like that part is a waste. And then Kyle, I just wanted to add one more thing before uh, you jump in, because I know that you've got some thoughts here, but I think I made the mistake when we first went remotely back in March, I made the mistake of thinking that my online portion was an office hours. It was like, let's show up and I'll help you one-on-one. And this will be a way for us to kind of get to know each other better. And if all were in small group, that'd be great. But I sent that out to my students that it's office hours. And I think that gave the wrong message. And I think if you're saying it's office hours or a help session, it's almost like homework take-up sessions. I think that's where you're going to have kids just not show up. It kind of reminds me too. Oh, imagine when you said, Hey, if you stick around after school or at lunch, I'll do some help too. And you'd get a handful of students, but oftentimes not the students you were kind of hoping would come because it just, it's kind of easy for them to dismiss. And you talked about access and equity and some of the serious issues that and challenges we have, like babysitting siblings, not having access to the technology working for the family. Like those are big ones too. But then when you put it out there, I'm glad you mentioned that because when you put it out as sort of like an optional experience, then you introduce new challenges. Like some of the educators I was working with over in my district, they were saying things like, I had kids saying they were getting up at 1 p.m. It's like that routine is so important. And that's kind of, it sounds like what you were saying, John, is like if we were in a fully online model, despite the fact that we have huge access and equity issues here due to circumstance, due to maybe just a lack of routine. It could be all kinds of things like serious issues there. But again, something that is in our sphere of concern, but we personally don't have the means to change that, to make change like the district level does, the government does. Like These are things like we need them to step up in those cases. But we also want to make sure that we're helping kids to build that routine because I think even for myself, I mentioned it on many episodes on the podcast, like I found myself struggling to kind of keep on my own routine just because I didn't have that, hey, I got to be here by this time. I got to be up and out the door, like those things. I loved not having that restriction, but it also made it much easier for me to sort of cruise into the day a little differently than maybe I would have in the past. So I love that idea. And it sounded like you were almost suggesting like if it is a blended model, then maybe that's when we step in and say, okay, With the blended model, I get to do a lot of these things face-to-face. Maybe I'm thinking more about when students are on their online day, we'll call it like the off day, right? The day they're not coming into school. Is there any way that I can try to provide them with things to do? And we'll get to this a little later in the episode, but things to do that may not require as much lenience or as much dependency on technology where they can actually engage regardless of their tech situation at home. So it sort of sounded like those two models sort of blended a little bit. But if you're in a blended model, trying to think of like, I think there are things we can do to influence to help students still be able to engage in the math without necessarily having to rely 100% on technology. So some big things here for us to consider John, where do we go? Let's start thinking a little bit about our expectations on ourselves for things like content. Because I don't know, John, if you remember, we've asked our email list many times, the Math Moment Maker community, we've said, what's your number one struggle? And during normal, we'll call them normal times, one of the biggest struggles was getting through the curriculum, the content. And like, so what's our message from Make Math Moments about people moving forward in a blended or worse model moving into this next school year? Hey there, Math Moment Makers. Are you a dedicated listener? Like, I'm talking, have you been listening for a couple of months, maybe even a couple of years? 
Well, if you haven't taken a moment to leave us a rating and review on your favorite podcast platform, it would mean so much to us. It'll take you under one minute uh, so that you can help more educators see and experience the Making Math Moments That Matter podcast. Uh, Do us this huge solid. Uh, We thank you from the bottom of our hearts. And uh, here is today's episode. If you listened to us before or participated in any of our professional development sessions, you know that we try not to use cover curriculum all that often. We've often borrowed a phrase from our good friend, Al Overwick, who says that in our classes, we don't cover curriculum, we uncover curriculum. We kind of have activities or scenarios that bring out the learning goals that we're trying to do. So how can we do that? Like Kyle has just suggested that on a regular, when we're normal, like think of a year ago, you're thinking, how do I cover or uncover the curriculum at a good pace so that I can meet the needs of the standards of the course? I got, you know, to think about those standardized tests that are coming up. We have to make sure that we do that kind of stuff. We do have a whole episode on how do I uncover the curriculum and not worry so much. That's something to think about. But also, we're in a situation where we're not going to even be able to uncover the curriculum at the normal pace that we would have done before. So before we were worried about doing that, and now we have to have even that time reduced, especially if we're in uh, the blended model or back to remote learning. If you think back from March to June, Kyle, I probably covered a third of what I needed to cover or uncover in that time. So we definitely didn't cover or uncover the standards that we needed to in that course. And I think we have to realize that if we're in a situation where it's this emergency teaching, right, where it's not e-learning, it's not like we're going to make the same pace. We have to realize that this is an emergency change. And I think it's okay. You have to give yourself permission because it's in the back of your mind going, I have to make sure I do this. But I think you have to first realize that it's not going to be the same in that sometimes we kind of have to wrap our minds around that, that we have to realize we're going to cover or uncover things at a slower pace and it's going to happen, but you have to give yourself permission to do that. There you go. I'm so happy like because giving permission, I think it's so important because if we are overwhelming ourselves with anxiety and stress around things that are not reasonable, It's not realistic for us to enter into a blended or worse model where we know that there's a lot of students in our class who are now going to not only was like the regular everyday model not helpful for all students, right? So we had access and equity issues before all of this happened. We just increase that like tenfold. And I'm looking at this and thinking, you know, there's an article that we came across, both John and I, uh, I was by Larry Furlazo and it was through uh, Ed Week, I think. We'll add the link to the show notes. And he was just talking about this idea of less is more. And it resonated with us because when we did our Make Math Moments from a Distance webinars and now in our online course in the academy that we have about making math moments from a distance, a lot of what he said resonated with that messaging that we had. And something that we are going to push you to think about is to start thinking about what better time than now to shift from a gradual release of responsibility model to a problem-based approach like we promote with our three-part framework. So if you haven't done this because you've felt overwhelmed by curriculum, the timing, all of these things that are normally stressing us, then this is a great opportunity for you to start moving towards a problem-based approach and start thinking about, all right, like things aren't going to be perfect this year. We already know that. So how can we use this time and do some of our own learning? I would argue that through what we've gone through with COVID, like a silver lining that we've had is I'm going to bet that every educator out there is better with ed tech tools than they were five months ago, right? Before all of this happened, there was some teacher saying like, I have no idea how YouTube works. And now I bet you almost every educator knows how to upload a video to some sort of streaming service, right? So looking at this scenario as like a growth opportunity for us as educators and doing the darn best we can for kids 
is something that I think we can really set as a goal for ourselves to push ourselves. And I'm going to argue that a problem-based approach to teaching mathematics is going to open the doors for so many more students so that regardless of the model that we're using, you're going to be helping more of your students and you might even be able to uncover more of the curriculum than you could have otherwise if we focused in on this gradual release approach where it's a me doing something and then we're going to do it together and then you're going to repeat it a billion times. We want to make it about conceptually building along our mathematical trajectory so that students are moving along from where they are and they're all moving at the pace that makes sense for them based on where they are. So for us, that's huge. John, you mentioned the game of NIM as a way that we can start building that community in that first week. What's another activity that we had shared in that original episode back in, uh, I think it was what, episode 38, I think you said? 36. 36, episode 36. What was another one and what might it look like? How would it change if, let's say, you were in a fully online model? If it's a blended model, I'm going to argue you'll probably do it live, right, with the students and you get to build like we did back then. But what if you were in a fully online model? Like, what might it look like? So what's the activity? Where'd it come from? And then now, how's it going to change for you if we go fully online coming in September? Yeah. So it's important to note, too, is that we're not changing any of the actual activities that we recommended in episode 36. We're going to suggest ways that you can do this online because I think they're great activities. And I think they can still work because the goal here of this activity is to build community. And we got some activities that we're going to share a little later on that uh, help you paint a picture of what your class could look like, what you value. And also we're going to share a couple of activities about how to inspire curiosity. But this particular activity is great for building community and trust. And I think that's the important part is right. Like your students have to come to class and trust you, whether they're doing this online or the blended model, you still have to earn that trust or gain that trust of those students so that they can then share ideas as we go. And so the activity that we used in episode 36, and I still do, and I got from Sarah Vanderwerf, which is name tense. And it's about, normally you'd have a kid create a name tag and they put it on their desk uh, so you can see it. But then the name tent was like inside, you now can section the days off of the week. And the kid would write something specific about that day or what do you want them to know? Or you, you can ask prompts in there and have them fill them out. And then they hand them in and you get to read them and respond to them. And so Sarah's got a link and we'll put that in the show notes too about how to do that and, and what's the benefit of that. And, and I think that's going to help build trust in your class is, is if you have the students kind of write to you on a regular basis, you create that one-on-one kind of relationship, which is what we need to do, especially if you're fully remotely. Like, how are you going to get to know your kids if you haven't even seen them in the class? And especially if you're going to do this every other day or twice a week or, or how that looks for you, we still need to get to know them. It's going to take you longer if you're not seeing them every day. So a Name tent is something that can be not just day one, it, it can span more than one day. And so what that could look like for you is it could be easily as a Google Doc that's shared between the two of you. That's one way that uh, could write in it, you could write back. Uh, another way is that they could make a flip grid and you can make a board of flip grids. We've used that in our webinars before and they could be messaging you and you could see them. That's the nice thing about Flipgrid. It's video based and then you can write one back. So that's that whole exactly same name tent, but it's like a back and forth dialogue. This is another one is you could have their name tent be the green screen background of their video. If you're doing live video with your students, like in small groups or even in the big classes, they can make their picture, their design of what it looks like. So there could be their name in the background and they could be drawing a picture of a prompt that you suggest for either that day or for the week. It could be something like, draw me a picture of what you think math class could look like, or draw me a picture of what you thought math class was, and then you can see that. You can do another activity in that same thing that's uh, linked to the name tent, which is what I've used in the name tent, which is complete the phrase math is like. And kids can write down a comparison of what they think math is like, and then it's like, math is like a swap, and then they have to explain why. You can have them do that in their name tent. And also, it could be written on their background of the green screen. And so it's kind of a funny thing that they do, but you get to see inside of where they're coming from math and their math experiences. And that's so important to kind of build that trust and open up the gates to so you know your kids. So a name 10 is a great suggestion that you can do any dynamic that you find yourself in to help build that trust. But there's lots of things you can do. We're not saying that that's the only thing you can do. 
there's so many. And if you've got a great suggestion, hit us up in the Facebook group of our online Facebook group or on Twitter. If you're listening to this right now, you can just be like, hey, John, Kyle, this is another great first week activity to build trust. So I think that's one we can do. We're going to move on, right, Kyle? Because we got two big other things to talk about here about inspiring curiosity the first week and also how to paint a picture of what to value in class. We want to make sure kids know what we value in our classrooms, especially on that first day and first week. So that kind of wraps up the first big thing, which was about how to build community and trust. I love it. I love it. And definitely do, like John said, add to the comments at the show notes page. Uh, this one's episode 88. So that'd be makemathmoments.com forward slash episode 88. So you know that John and I are all about inspiring curiosity. And now, given the circumstances, if we're in a blended or worse model where you're in a fully online environment, trying to get kids to lean in will be so important. It was hard in a face-to-face environment. It's going to be extremely hard, as you know already, to ensure that we get them in early And we keep them with us. So as we start shifting from like this community building activities, we always have to keep in mind, it's not like, all right, week one, we're going to build trust and community and then flip the switch week two into like, let's get back into regular old, watch me do a bunch of problems. And now you do a bunch of problems. We want to keep that curiosity going. We want kids thinking to themselves, wow, it's a bummer that I missed that synchronous session right? Like we want them to want to be there and we can modify for those who can't, right? So we can record sessions. We can try to arrange small group opportunities and different things for those students, but we want them to feel like if there's a way I can be a part of this activity, I want to be there. So for us, we tend to start because we're like in the middle school, the middle years range when we're in the classroom teaching, proportion tasks are amazing. So starting with something obviously with friendlier numbers early on and then changing those numbers as we move through the school year, kind of upping it can be really, really helpful. If you're curious about how you can spark more curiosity with proportional reasoning tasks, make sure you head to makemathmoments.com forward slash tasks. We have many there for you to check out. Academy members have access to like the full teacher guide. So check that out. If you're interested, you'll see an opportunity there for you to dive in and be able to access those for free. So check that out. But then also just thinking about how do we keep that curiosity going, but with intentionality. So if, as John said earlier, If we know we're not going to be able to get through as much of that uncovering of content as we would like in these models, these blended or worse models, how are we going to connect that curiosity to fueling sense making? Again, it can't be a switch. It can't be like, let's do this fun activity at the beginning and then we're going to go and do the boring stuff, right? Like we have to find ways that we can spark curiosity into fueling sense-making. So we're going to be doing a whole episode that's going to unpack some of those ideas. We have, like we said earlier, some webinars coming up. So check out makemathmoments.com forward slash webinar. Get yourself signed up. But we're also going to do a podcast episode in probably two or three episodes from now. We're going to have that episode coming out. And we're going to take you through the three-part framework to talk about what that looks like and sounds like in an online environment. But for us, again, it's like thinking really hard, spending a lot of time on how you're going to get and pique that curiosity. John, what about like at home? So if we're doing this live, anyone who's done any of the work with us or any past PD sessions that we've done, they would know, okay, the three-part framework, super helpful to do this. What might that look like, though, if like you're at home, like what should students do if you're in a blended model, let's say, and, you know, they're with you for a day? I'm picturing we do a problem based lesson together. What might we do at home to help students stay engaged and not make it just about like, hey, fill out this worksheet and we'll see you tomorrow? That's what has me worried the most, I think, is like, how do we not lose the engagement that you're doing in class in a blended model is that we've done this great activity. We had a great dialogue going. We got discussion. We're building our community. 
But then you're going to go home that day or maybe the rest of the week, like depending on what it looks like for you and your dynamic. But I'm really worried for teachers and on what that second day or off days look like. I don't want my students leaving there going like, okay, now I just got a, a day break. Like I got a break and I'm going to come back and do work there. Or I don't want it to be like, I think a lot of teachers are going to resort to. It's like, you know what? If it's every other day or if it's two days on, two days off, then what I'll do is I'll do a whole bunch of mini lessons. I'll teach, 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 teach. And then I'll give the same amount of homework, but they got two days to do it or they got a day to do that homework. So it's like, they're just going to cut their days in half and do lessons to fill that time, knowing that they'll just do practice work. That's what worries me because you know that half your class might do that work depending on the class that you're teaching and half might come back not done, or maybe it's a combination or a mix of all that. But when you're doing that, you're not sparking curiosity. And Kyle, you're not fueling sense-making. You're just kind of resorting back to that method that I learned in and taught for a number of years. So what can it look like? I think what you suggested is like, we could do one of these problem-based tasks from our website or from lots of people's website, even if you went to makemathmoments.com forward slash find and search for a topic, you're going to get some great lessons there that are all problem-based. Your next day or the day that they're going to be at home for, it could be a couple of different things. Like it could be a, a set of purposeful practice problems that are result around that idea. So it's not just a worksheet. It's more about practicing the ideas that you had, but on a more purposeful scale. So so if you're doing a measurement unit, you could be extending your task that you did to covering different shapes and drawing different shapes. So it could be purposeful practice. So that's one way to do that. Another thing that you could be doing at home is it could be more of the consolidation stage, right? Or the connecting stage, like something that we forgot for a number of years when we were teaching with problem-based was we thought, hey, let's engage, engage, engage. But I think where we missed a mark sometimes is how the learning, the big learning goals connected to all the other goals that we're working on in the course. Like where did that lesson fit in to the grand scheme of the big things that we want to understand? And so making that clear, especially if you're going to do problem-based to start and have kids explore strategies, it's that connect stage. If you're referring to Peg Smith's and Mary Kay Stein's Five Practices for Orchestrating Productive Mathematical Discussions book, you know, it's that connect stage of like, we got to make sure we connect that learning to prior learning and then future learning. And so you could be assigning a set of activities or reflection prompts to students to say like, what did you learn here? And how did this fit in with what we've learned in the past and what do you still want to know more about? Like it could be a series of reflections that kids are doing at home during that time. Another thing, Kyle, that I think we can definitely fit into those times is because that idea of whole of we're not uncovering all the curriculum that we're going to need to cover. So if we're already there saying we can't cover everything and you know that kids are going to drop off on that workload at home, why don't we make that work at home more engaging in a sense of like, let's explore some of the concepts that we generally not being able to explore just to keep the engagement level up. I'm imagining early in the year. So like right off the bat, we assign at-home activities that explore the beauty of mathematics, like bring art into mathematics. You know, if you're in high school, assign some Desmos marble slides to your students or a Desmos art project that they can create art from. You can bring in beauty of mathematics. Like if you read Francis Sue's book, Humanizing Mathematics, and you read Sunil Singh's book on math recess and some of his other books, like you're going to get some great ideas on how you connect, say, non-school math to beauty of mathematics. And I think if we can do some of that in these off days, it will connect those students to mathematics more. They'll also have a better understanding of why we do what we do. And then what you could do is if you do a lot of that early, you can start weaning them off. Once they're already into like, oh, on my off day, I have to do this. On my off day, I have to do this. And I really enjoyed that because it was not a typical school of mathematics. Then later on, you can be like a little bit of that and then a little bit of other stuff. So it's like they're already used to doing stuff on their off day. I don't even actually only like saying off day, Kyle, because it's still an on day. But I think that we can wean them off so that it's kind of like they're already used to that routine of doing stuff. So I would say on those days where you're not, you can do a lot of great things still and keep the learning going and especially that engagement. 
I think you've kind of brought us nicely into this next and final piece of the puzzle, which is, again, painting a picture. And what we're talking about there is like what we value in the math learning. And I love this piece. Like, for example, I constantly try to weigh out the possibilities. Like, what are the likely scenarios? So, for example, what I'll hear from a lot of math moment makers out there that they'll come with a challenge and they might say something like, okay, over the past three months, we were doing remote learning and only a third of my class was actually engaging. So when I use that and I think about it and then you share something like, hey, well, maybe this is an opportunity for us to try problem-based lessons if I haven't yet, or maybe dive into some of that great work by Sunil Singh or Francis Sue, or, you know, there's other people out there like James Tanton has some amazing things around the beauty of math, but still like does a lot of fueling of sense making. These are things that you can provide to students. And the question I would now say is, okay, if you were only getting a third of your class engaging, Imagine if maybe trying some of these math-related ideas. Again, we're not just doing fun things for the fun of it. They are to really get students to see and value mathematics, value the beauty and that wonderment in mathematics. And imagine if maybe that engagement stays high right? It stays high. And because they're motivated, because they're enjoying what they're doing, maybe it'll be easier for me to address some of those curriculum expectations that I was so worried about covering. Now I'm using the air quotes. Now we're uncovering it and we're trying to get students essentially turned on to math so that they want to do the learning and they want to stay curious and they want to dive in. And I look at this and it makes me really think about something I'm doing myself is trying to think about reflecting on what do I value in math class, not only just about like how we approach math class, but then thinking about the concepts that are most important right? Like what are the concepts that I think are really, really worth us diving deeply into? And in all the past years, I was just cruising through as much as I could, skimming the surface where only some students were actually able to sort of grasp and dive deep on. Maybe this is a great opportunity for us to kind of pause, reflect and go, all right, if I can't get through this huge list here, what areas are the ones that I really want to hone in on? And I really want students to, again, not memorize, but to actually experience and actually completely understand. And I'm going to argue that if students have a deep understanding, if they walk away from this experience and they have a deep understanding of less content ideas or areas, I'm going to argue that that will probably be more beneficial for them moving forward. Because if they become good problem solvers and resilient problem solvers, and they believe in themselves that they can think mathematically, I feel like no matter what comes their way down the road, they're going to be more ready and more prepared to address that at that time versus just trying to memorize as much stuff as we possibly could and sort of skim the surface over top. Mm -hmm, for sure. So we're thinking about like painting a picture of what we value. Everyone has a different set of values for their classroom. But I think for us and for me in particular, I'm going to point out just three things. And two of them, I, 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 we have some suggestions for it. But third, I'm still stuck on how we can do this appropriately in a remote learning or a, a blended learning model. But instead of okay, going right into a syllabus and rules, why we say you should be painting a picture of showing your kids what you value is because if you do that right away, then you're going to build that community and trust even more. So this is kind of reinforces the first point. But one of the things that we value in our class is voice, like student voice. And like, how can we get our students to voice and realize that their voice counts? In some of my lessons early in my career, I was the voice and that was it. And they were just the doers or the practicers. But I want my students to show that their voice matters. And you can do that with number two that we talked about, inspiring curiosity with problem-based tasks and, and getting them to voice their ideas and suggestions and strategies there. But uh, you can get them to voice their ideas and create like their own uniqueness with activities to start class like we've often referenced to which one doesn't belong or estimation 180 or would you rather math all great suggestions on how to do that in your classroom to start class off but you can still do this remotely like synchronously or asynchronously 
You can use Braining Camp's resources to get kids to use their number line and their manipulatives. We've often referenced them. So you can be using these activities, even if you're remotely, to show that voice off. You're, if it's in the chat or on a document, we want to make sure that they know that their voice matters. And I think that's the important part that you need to show your students, like paint them a picture that it does matter and you value it. And I think you've got to show that you value it. You can't just say, hey, we value this and then not do anything about it. So that's one of the things that we want to show their value. The other one is uniqueness. Like I want to show that my students' uniqueness is important, like who they are is important. And I think we've been talking about that all the way through this episode, kind of in the sense that we want to build trust, but we also want to show that their identity matters in our class, like who they are. Their creativity and how they design their strategies matter. I try to show that right from day one is that I'm going to take your suggestions and your strategies over the teacher strategy. And then we'll talk about what that looks like and which one can be improved upon and not. So there's uniqueness is an important one to include in values. And then the last one is the one, Kyle, I'm still struggling with, which is collaboration. In my face-to-face class, we did a lot of collaborating, two, three kids at a whiteboard, standing up, working through problems. Now they're telling us that you have to keep six feet apart. Even if we're in class, how am I going to get my kids to work at whiteboards in partners or groups of three when we have to stay apart? Or if we have to wear masks, that's fine. But if we have to stay apart, that's going to be an issue. If we're like, I'm imagining these jail cells that my students have to stay in, in their desk area. Like I've seen pictures of these and you have too, where you have to like stay in this area and there's like a taped off area, like don't come in this area. Like I realize that that may happen, but it's not going to be do as any wonders for building collaboration in our classroom. So collaborating apart is tough for me to imagine. And that's one I'm still struggling with. Like on day one, we would build skyscrapers, which we'll put a link for in there because kids can get in there and show like, let's talk about this strategy. And they're moving things around with manipulatives to build these puzzles. But I can't do that if we have to stay six feet apart. So that's one I'm struggling with. And uh, I know that everyone might be struggling with that, especially if you're in class, but have to stay apart. Even if you're a remote, it's a struggle to figure, how do I get kids to interact together? Like I've heard often people say, we well, have done breakout groups in Zoom and other Google Meets, but it still seems to be a logistical kind of struggle for sure. So it's not ideal, but so that's one thing that I'm struggling with and, and I think everyone would be. So we're open to suggestions there. Hey, like do us another solid here, email us or send us a tweet or post us on the Facebook group if you have any suggestions, because I think people would love to hear other people's suggestions on this too. That's a struggle with collaboration as well. I'm with you on that, John. And as you're speaking, I'm in my mind picturing is like, again, can we find a silver lining? I'm going, okay, is this an opportunity to push this idea of convincing, of reasoning, improving, and to get students now that they're from a distance and now they have to try to articulate and sort of convince a partner that is now six feet away? Is this an opportunity for them to really push their thinking using uh, concrete manipulatives or using visuals in order, like math models in order to describe their solution approach now that they're not so close and working one-on-one with each other. How can we use that and try to find a silver lining? So again, we'd love to hear from people on what they're doing, some ideas around that. But John, I think it's about time that we wrap this thing up because boy, oh boy, we're at an hour of actual content here and it's going to be even longer with our bumpers. So let's talk a little bit. So first off, I'm hoping as you're listening to this, again, we can't throw a podcast episode sort of make this implementable tomorrow. But what we're hoping you got is kind of one of the key points we had is painting you a picture of maybe what could be as we move forward. How can we make the best of a tough situation. So we hope that we got you thinking about the beginning of the school year and what it might look like for you in your context and for you and your students. So what might that look like and sound like? We've been kind of tossing this idea around of like a blended or maybe even fully online. Are you lucky to be in a country where maybe, you know, they've really kept the numbers so low that you're face to face and you're wondering even why we're having this conversation? Well, hopefully you can take some of these ideas and still put them into practice. So how are we going to get kids engaged right out of the gate? Again, 
If we don't get them early, it's going to be tough to keep them engaged, to get them to stick around. I was saying to some educators uh, throughout this COVID experience that like right now, a win was to keep who you had. It was really hard to re-engage a student when we were fully online doing emergency remote learning. So let's try to keep as many as we possibly can out of the gate so that they do stick around, so that they do engage with us. And then finally, how do we still spark curiosity and maintain this idea of fueling sense-making despite all of these hurdles that we're faced with. So don't set that bar too high where you're saying, I'm going to do the same amount of content. We're going to uncover the same amount of content that we always did. Because I do think while that would be amazing if that were possible, what I don't want is you losing sleep at night, feeling anxious, stressed out, feeling down on yourself that you're not a great educator because you are. Like if you're listening to this show, you clearly have a huge love for what you do and you are trying so hard. So please, please, please give yourself the courtesy to respect the fact that you are not Although we feel it sometimes like you have to be a superhero as an educator, we cannot make this go perfectly well. We're going to do our best to do the best we possibly can, continue learning, but just give yourself that freedom to feel that, you know what, I am putting in 110, maybe it's 200% into this, and maybe it's just not possible for me to uncover that huge amount of math content that I had expected of myself previously. So if you got some value out of this episode, those three big pieces here, we're really, really glad. We want you to consider checking out the webinar, going to makemathmoments.com forward slash webinar. We are going to be doing a full episode or a full live webinar, I should say, synchronously with you, but you can access it asynchronously afterwards. Get yourself signed up because we are going to really unpack what this might look like, sound like from a live webinar perspective. So hopefully we'll see some of you in there. All right, my friends. So now it's time for you to pause for a moment and reflect on a big takeaway from this mini masterclass on starting up the school year from a distance. Was it an activity that resonated with you? Was it just a general idea or approach? Or maybe it was just a comment or a quote that's sticking with you. In order to ensure you hang on to this new learning so it doesn't wash away like footprints in the sand, you must reflect on what you've learned here. An excellent way to ensure that this learning sticks is to reflect and create a plan for yourself or to take action, like build it into your first day plan. Yes. And if you think about some great ways to hold yourself accountable would be to write it down or maybe even better share it with someone, your partner, a colleague, go ahead and shoot them a text message or with the Math Moment Maker community by commenting on the show notes page or tagging us on social media at Make Math Moments or you can dive into our free private Facebook group, Math Moment Makers K through 12. Like we mentioned at the top of the episode, we are diehards for vertical non-permanent services in our classroom. And if they're your thing too, then uh, you can get some durable and easy to use uh, white book flip charts from whitebook.com. And uh, you can head over to whitebook.com forward slash moments and you can get a 30% off your flip chart pack. Yes, that's right. Vertical non-permanent surfaces are a huge thing in the Make Math Moments classroom. So definitely check them out. And if you are a district leader or a school leader or a math consultant or coordinator, you might be ordering for your school or district and you need more than just a couple packs. So head over to whitebook.com forward slash moments bulk so that you can get up to 40% off on your bulk orders. Again, that's whitebook.com forward slash moments bulk. In order to ensure you don't miss out on new episodes as they come out each Monday morning, subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Awesome. Show notes, links to resources for this episode, and full episode transcripts, which you can read online. You can have them read to you online, or you can download in PDF form. Head on over to makemathmoments.com forward slash episode 88. Again, that's makemathmoments.com forward slash episode 88. 
Well, my math moment maker friends, until next time, I'm Kyle Pierce. And I'm John Orr. High fives for us. And high fives for you. If you are a district leader of mathematics, a math coach, a math curriculum coordinator, a superintendent and principal, getting teacher buy-in for effective math teaching practice is top of mind. And plans only go so far. You can make you know detailed plans and, and carefully designed goals with clear objectives and key results that are measurable. But that can feel like it all falls flat if we can't engage our teachers in the work. Working with teachers who do not want to change their teaching practices is one of the most frustrating and challenging parts of our job. How do I help teachers engage in effective teaching practices when they keep pushing us away? If you can't reach the tipping point in mass adoption of effective mathematics teaching strategies, then it's it's likely we won't see student improvement in mathematics. We have a free training uh, an accompanying workbook for leaders of mathematics like you. Uh, the, math, the Make Math Moments team, myself, John, and Kyle, walk you through our four-stage process uh, we use with district partners to create clear, measurable, sustainable PD action plans, but more specifically on how to also get teacher buy-in so that it drives student engagement. So step one, register for this free training, get your planning workbook, um, and then watch the training. Schedule some time on your calendar so you can watch it and go through the workbook after completing that workbook, you're going to have a clear, measurable vision, action plan for mathematics to get more teacher buy-in, but also be able to hit your goals for the 2024-2025 school year. So head on over to makemathmoments.com forward slash four stages to start this free training.